So if you're joining us this morning for the first time, or if you're just jumping into this series, we're actually in week two of a series on light. Uh, it's been a conversation about how to experience more of God's glory in our lives. And we spoke a little bit last week about why that's important, what it is. Um, but for this week, I'm going to tell us a story about a painting that's going to help set the conversation for, uh, for the next 20 minutes or so. So in uh, July 2019, an elderly woman living in the north of France decided to sell her house. She was selling the house, she was moving out of the area, and she decided to go through all of her possessions as part of the selling of the house process and see if there was anything of value in the home. Uh, there was one particular painting that she thought, you know, might have some kind of religious value, but she wasn't exactly sure of its true worth. So she went to the house and, um, you know, to get kind of a second opinion, she called an auctioneer, invited him over and said, won't you just have a look through all of this stuff? How many of us know that we accumulate stuff in our house, right? And so, you know, so she thought, let me just get this guy's professional uh, opinion and um, when he came over to the house, he only had about a week before the house was going to be sold. The first thing he noticed was this, was this painting. Um, it's called Christ Mocked. It's got it up on the screen. That's what it looks like. That's the painting. Any artists here in the house that can identify the painter? Sorrel, was that a hand? No, it was a half hand. Um, Sorrel and I had a wonderful conversation before church about how we don't know what spring onions are at the grocery store. So I think this might be a bit out of our league, Sorrel. Um, but this is, the, this is the painting. As you can see, it, it, it depicts Christ as he's being beaten and mocked on his way to the crucifixion. Uh, and it actually forms part of three panels of paintings that tell this story. So that's the first thing that this auctioneer noticed when he walked into the house. And just by the way, it was hanging above her stove, her hot plate. I mean, she must have been a pretty good cook because if it was hanging above my stove, it would be full of oil and steak and butternut for Benjamin. So anyway, that's the painting. And he thought, you know, maybe this thing is worth 300 to 400,000 euros. He thought, he looked at it, it looks a little bit like something from the Italian kind of era. But to be sure, he said, you know, let me send it away to this art expert in France, this, um, this guy that does this for a living, uh, so we can get a proper, you know, estimate of the value of this painting that's hanging above this elderly woman's stove in northern France. That was in June 2019. After getting the painting to the art expert in September 2019, that painting went on auction in France and sold for 19 million euros. Imagine having a painting hanging above your stove for 370 million rand, staring you in the face every single day and you had no idea of its true worth. You know where I'm going, right? I wonder how many of us as believers get to the end of our day completely oblivious to the treasure that's staring you in the face every single day. The scripture is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay, so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. 
This whole series has been a conversation about do our actions as believers match up to and reflect the incredible value that we carry intrinsically on the inside of us? Because that painting is worth monetary value, something in worldly wealth, but we carry eternal spiritual wealth. That painting is going to eventually pass away, but what we have in heaven is never going to pass away. Do we realize the eternal value that we carry? I'm challenging myself here, by the way, church. It's Lloyd. You know, are you always thinking about the bad things? Are you always complaining? Do you spend your time unwisely, not realizing, being completely oblivious to neglecting the fact that I have eternal treasure of Christ on the inside of me? And I, I want to I help us today to, to savor this light that we have on the inside of us. Last week was about seeing the light. This week is about savoring the light. And that's, that's going to be the goal. I want us to recognize that we carry the eternal and immeasurable value of Christ wherever we go. And because of that, we can change the course of destiny, not only of ourselves, but of people around us. I mean, she would have sold that painting and for generations, there would have been wealth stored up in the family. Same, same thing. How many other people, the course of whose destiny of generations to come, could we influence by the power that is within us? You know, just interestingly enough, on that, um, on that passage, you know where it says, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. The reason why he says the word the in there is because a few verses before, he says that the God of this world, talking about the devil, uh, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they wouldn't see this light. And that's when he clarifies and he says, but the God, the God of all creation. See, the devil had to work. He wants to keep people in darkness. But God also has a work. He wants people to see the light. And that's why he makes that distinction. But this is, this is what the goal of the series is going to be about. It's about discovering the incredible value that we have and that we carry as believers. And how do we unlock that for God's purpose? Because it's not just about us, right? That says we've got treasure in jars of clay. So it's not about us. So how do we unlock this? Because it must be for, for, for a greater purpose than just ourselves. And this week, I want us to have a look at Moses um, in, in Scripture because he is a great example of someone that had this divine encounter with God that produced a kingdom purpose for God. Moses had a divine encounter. He's a fantastic example of one of the leaders in Scripture that we can learn a lot from in this regard. And actually, you know, if you, if you study Moses' life, it's, it's fascinating to me to see how the man who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the man who saw God in person, as it were, the man who was entrusted with the Ten Commandments, like, this is, a, this is a big deal kind of guy, right? Moses is, is a big deal in Scripture. The man who, who is mentioned by Jesus in the New Testament. And over 80 times, this, this Moses is the same guy that battled with immensely low self-esteem. He's the guy that had tremendous lack of confidence to the point where he actually, <laughs> he argues with God. He says, no, God, surely someone else. Can't be me. You guys know the story, right? It's in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read a portion of it just now. But he says, no, God, surely it can't be. I mean, God is talking to you. Like, we're talking to each other, and he's going, no, God, no, no, surely. Please just send someone else. Why don't you just send Aaron? Like, I can't talk. You know, I'm not the same God, the same Moses. I mean, it's just amazing to see. But it also, you know, it also reveals God's divine mercy, doesn't it? Patience. That he'd work with even the most seemingly insecure people and bring about a kingdom purpose. No one is excluded in God's divine plan. Amen. But let's, let, let's have a look at this incredible story of Moses' call at the burning bush and see some lessons that we can learn 
for us today to gain a greater sense of this glory that is in us. So this is, this is, this is the account uh, in Exodus. It says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Just pause there for a moment. Shepherding the flock. Where do we see this in the New Testament? Birth of Jesus. Birth of something new. Start of a miraculous divine plan. People going about what they had already or always had been doing. The mundane. And there's a miracle. Going about your mundane business, Monday to Sunday, the same thing. God meets them there. Moses was shepherding the flock of his father, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? This bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed, right? Then uh, uh, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bushes, Moses, Moses. Here I am, he answered. Just keep it there one moment. It's interesting to note that if you think about the story, one of the first things that people will say is that, you know, when, when, when asked the question, what did, what did God say to Moses? We'll all remember, take off your sandals, right? But what about calling him by name first? He calls him by name, Moses, Moses. See, when God has a divine purpose for your life, he calls you by name. He knows you personally. He's always going to call you before he gives you an instruction. He wants you more than he wants what you can do for him. Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet. We could spend so much time on that. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, making a point here. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. We see the first glimpse of his insecurity. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. Oh, I know about your suffering, says the Lord. Hmm. And I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, the territory of the Canaanites and Hittites and Zibazibazibazites and all the arts. <laughs> Next verse. So because the because of the Israel's cry, uh, so because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I've also seen the way the Egyptians are pressing them. Uh, therefore, go. Therefore, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, "Who am I?" <laughs> that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Lord, you've got the wrong oak here. How does he, how does he respond? He answered, Jesus, God answers, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I'm the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. You see, a divine encounter with God always produces a divine purpose for God. And a divine purpose is always greater than the person to which it is given. Because Moses, this is not just about you. This is not just about you. This is about you leading an entire nation of of people out of captivity. Moses, this is bigger than you. Moses, take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And guess what? Here is holy because I am is here. Uh, Moses, here is holy because he is holy and he is here. To make it personal, Lloyd, my presence is with you. And it's to, it's, to full, it's to fulfill a purpose bigger than you. Oh, but who am I, Lord? Lloyd, I am is with you. I am is with you. You need to start realizing that you need to make the days count. 
These days are precious. I've given you a divine call and it's for a purpose that's bigger than you are, for an impact that will be around for a lot longer than you will be. Friends, we don't exist just for for ourselves. We exist to worship God. We exist to bring them, bring others into this place of salvation. Kind of makes you wonder how you view your coming to church on a Sunday, doesn't it? And how you wake up on the Monday. Because guess what? The children of Israel, people in the Old Testament, they had the pillar of fire by night. They had the cloud. They had God's presence in the tabernacle. But you and I, we have that presence on the inside of us. <laughs> they worship God from a distance, as it were. But in the New Testament right now, as we sit here, God is with you. Here is holy because he is holy and he is here. It's in the building because you're in the building. Monday, it's in the boardroom because you're in the boardroom. It's in the classroom because you're there. It's in the sports field, in the shopping center. It's on the couch at home because he is holy and he is in you. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? He is here and he is holy. How do we do this then? How do we, how do we unpack this treasure? How do we start taking ground for God? How do we start advancing kingdom purposes? A couple of ways, two simple steps that are going to help us unlock this so that we can really live a life of fulfillment. Firstly, we have to reclaim our passion. Church, we have to reclaim our passion. You know, you need to start getting passionate again for the things of God. Is that true? Is that that just a quiet moment where the Lord's maybe just revealing some things to us by His Spirit? It was for me. I honestly sat with this and thought, you know what, Lord? I've kind of lost my passion. Still got my faith. Don't get me wrong. Still believe in you. Still got my faith but I've lost my passion. You know, we like to say this in church that we started out on fire for God. Anyone ever heard those sayings in church? On fire for God. What did that mean, basically? You were just really passionate. You were motivated. You were, you was, we were all dialed in. You were, you were all in for what, for what God was doing. Nothing seemed like an inconvenience, you know? Getting up at ridiculous hours and serving and doing all these kinds of things. But sometimes that passion wanes. Sometimes we get caught up in the worries of life. Sometimes we neglect, as it were, this divine call that we had, this divine burning bush moment in our faith. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God has not lost his passion for you. God has not lost his passion for you. He is still radically pursuing us, church, every second of every day. And if you feel like you have lost your passion, all you need to do to reclaim it is just remember. Just remember that distance he's carried you. Just remember that, that burning bush moment. Just remember the distance he's carried you from there. Just, just get on your knees and say, thank you, Lord. Just stir up a little bit of gratitude. A little bit of gratitude. Take, take a step of faith in some way that makes you trust him. Add a little sprinkling of spiritual gifts, maybe. And just watch what happens to your passion. Watch what happens to the excitement for the things of God when you take these steps again. It's time to reawaken our passion. Amen. Easter is coming up soon, church. What a better time. <laughs> to awaken our passion and to remind ourselves of the reason why we're here in the first place, because of the cross. And that is surely one of the ways that we can rekindle our passion for God when we see this horrific suffering that he endured to bring us into freedom. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 um, says this, and it goes into chapter 4. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another. Don't just stop. Increase and overflow. Build up your passion. Don't stop doing the right things. And for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and the Father 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. And then he goes into chapter, into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, Additionally, then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how to live, uh, you should live and please God, as you're doing, do this even more. Do this even more. For you know the commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is Paul's writing to the church and he says, you already know what to do. There's nothing mysterious about this. God's not trying to hide and, and play hide and seek with you. Just do those things that are pleasing in, in, in his sight. Keep trusting him. Keep praying for people. Keep sharing your faith. Keep doing those things that are going to produce that passion in you again. You know, I was listening to a leadership talk recently and the, and the speaker was talking about the tension between uh, motivation and action on the other hand. And he's looking at why are some people unmotivated for action? And why are some, do, do, you know, why do some people have kind of all the ideas but never seem to take the first step? And it was interesting in this talk to, to, to find out, to realize that sometimes the motivation comes after the action. It's fascinating. Sometimes the motivation comes after the action. You know, you can, you can tell someone, do this, you know, do this or, or hype them up to do it. But until they actually take that step, then suddenly the, the motivation flows and they suddenly start seeing results. Oh, this is actually cool. Now, this actually really, you know, is helpful. This, this produces something. Same thing in faith. We take a step of faith. We do something that requires us to place our trust in God. And suddenly we see, oh my word, this, this feels good. I feel alive. I have, I've reclaimed my passion. I feel unified. I feel peace that I didn't have. I feel, you know, it's strength that I didn't have. This, this is good for me. And that's when the motivation actually comes. It starts by us taking that first step. Moses, go. Go to Pharaoh. I'm with you, but you must go. That's when you're going to see the miracles happen is when you go. And you say amen to that? And we always see, we know what happens. By the end of this, Moses, literally, his face is glowing from being in the presence of 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 God, once he'd led the children of um, Israel out of the wilderness. There's always this first step that happens. So we have, to, we, have to, we have to reawaken our passion. Then secondly, this leads us to rediscovering our purpose. Only two simple points today. There was quite a chunky introduction. But I find that it's really important for us to have both. We have to have passion. We need to be passionate. We have to have fuel and energy. But there also has to be a purpose behind that passion. You know, I find so many people these days are passionate about all the wrong things. <laughs> Getting so worked up and carried away and passionate about something that's not actually going to produce any lasting spiritual change. Is that a bit harsh? No? Christians too. Christians too. We fight amongst ourselves so passionately about who's got the best theological understanding of some book or who's got the best ministry or who's got the best looking whatever. And it's actually just to inflate our own egos if we're really honest. Now, why are we so passionately arguing amongst ourselves? Why don't we channel that passion and energy towards starting a ministry that cares for the widow and the orphan? What if we channel that passion in towards discipleship, growing worship teams, or whatever the case might be? We have to have a divine purpose for a divine passion. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says this, For, for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Friends, you and I were created for God's purpose. We exist to bring him glory, not just ourselves. We don't just exist for ourselves. We exist for him. And imagine, just imagine if we could wake up tomorrow, all of us collectively as a church globally and go, God, 
what is, the, what is the purpose today? Yes, I've got passion. It's stirred up on the inside of me because of this moment I have with you every day with your presence in me. But where can I redirect that passion this morning? For some of us, it might just be doing what we've already been doing. Maybe we're already there. Maybe it's just rekindling that and sharing that with someone else. Or maybe it's something completely, completely different. But you see, when you have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shining in your life, you begin to see where you've been passionate about the wrong things. You begin to see where you've had this misdirected energy. I'm getting so worked up about things that aren't actually going to produce the kind of kingdom investment that you want, Lord. When you see and savor that light, this this precious and eternally valuable light of Christ, you actually rediscover your true purpose. You have the passion and the purpose is aligned with biblical principles. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? Friends, I want to... I want to just end off this, this, this message and, and, and Damien's going to, going to talk about shining the light next week, seeing, savoring and shining. I want to just remind us on, on what this ultimate purpose actually is. You know, God's given us gifts and callings and we call to function and make a difference in society. But what, what is this ultimate purpose? Well, it's very, very simply to give God the glory back. We spoke about God's glory in this series and we exist to give it back to him. He's the owner. He's the owner of the glory. And so let's just, let's just have a look at 2 Corinthians 4 again. But this time I want to read it from the message. Just for a little bit of language, just to paint the picture. And, and just look how much the Apostle Paul was willing to endure for the sake of the gospel of, of God, that 370 million rand painting. Look at, look at what he was willing to endure. If you, talking to the church, look at us, you might well miss the brightness There's nothing fancy about us, he's saying. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there's not much chance of that. We know for for yourselves that we're not much to look at. Paul's saying this treasure in jars of clay. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Oh, that's so powerful. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. Ah, look at what he was willing to endure for the sake of the gospel, friends. He put himself through willingly through all of this because of the value that he had. In fact, Paul says in the letter to the Philippian church, I count everything else as rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior. Friends, we have eternal treasure. <laughs> We have something worth way more than 370 million rand sitting on the inside of us. And this week, I wondered as we close our message this morning, where is the place that God wants us to share that and shine that light? Which, which promised land can you bring someone into this week? It's not going to be about you. The glory is all about Him. It's us giving Him the glory back. We're just the jars of clay. We're just the unadorned clay pot. It's not about us. Something fancy about us doesn't have to be. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about the immeasurable, surpassing greatness of His power that you and I carry. 
So can we stand as a, uh, together as a, as a church in this moment and, and just commit this to God. Just commit this word. And whatever it is that you received most from this message this morning, in this moment, just commit that to Him. Open your heart and say, Lord, this is, this is what I feel like you're saying to me this morning. God takes the fallible thing like preaching and He makes it come, come alive in our hearts by the power of the Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we do thank You for Your presence. Thank You for Your conviction. Thank You for Your encouragement, Your wisdom, Your guidance. Thank You that You're shaping us. Thank You even this morning, Father, for an awakened awareness to the immeasurable value that we carry intrinsically on the inside of us. Father, everywhere we go can be made holy because You are holy and You are with us. We acknowledge that we have received a divine call from You. Would You give us courage to then live out that call in our divine purpose for You. Thank You, Father, for reawakened passion. Thank you for this energy, this zeal again for the things of God that's beginning to rise up and stir up on the inside of us. That when we wake up tomorrow, we carry that same thing into the world in which we go. The world is longing for, is longing for believers to bring them into their promised land of salvation. Father, thank you that you have considered us worthy to be co-laborers with you. Thank you so much, Lord, for your glory that shines on the inside of us in the face of Jesus Christ. And we worship you as your children. We love you, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Church, can we give God one more shout of praise and worship this morning?